You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 192. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with performance coach Lee Elias to talk about his award-winning books, his work with athletes, and his take on mental toughness. Lee shares how he aims to break the stigma around mental health, responding to negative stimuli, and how to teach your brain to grow from unfortunate circumstances. If you want to know more about how you can improve your mental strength and control your response to adversity, then this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, Lee, how are you? Hey, buddy, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I'm happy to be here today. I, I love your show. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you. And like any day on vertical is a good day. That's what I always say. So <laughs> and I'm vertical today. Awesome, man. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm, I'm super pumped to have you on my show for a lot of reasons, because we're very uh, like-minded. Uh, there's a lot of things that we both do for athletes, teams, and coaches and parents. And, right. and to have you on my show to talk about mindset, leadership, culture, burnout. I mean, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. And also going to talk about your books. You've written five. Uh, one of them, I think your most recent one, When Hockey Stops. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And I know there's other things outside of all of that that you do as well. So obviously we have time. We'll touch into those things too. But uh, but let's get into it. Let's get into more, one of my favorite uh, topics and topics that you and I deal with all the time within our roles, mental toughness. So when you think about mental toughness, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I love the question. And it's a question we need to be asking a lot more of not just ourselves, but everybody. And, you know, when I think about mental toughness, I actually started calling it mental fitness. And I'll tell you why real quick, because, um, you know, one of the stigmas I'm trying to break is an understanding of what the mind is to your body. So we say physical fitness all the time, right? Everybody understands what physical fitness is. You go to the gym, you lift weights, you do TRX, you get on the treadmill, whatever, whatever you do, you have a routine that you do to stay in shape. And we understand that if you don't go do that, you're going to get out of shape. And if you don't mix it up, you're going to get stagnant. So when I say mental fitness, we need to do that for our minds. And I think it's a really easy jump from physical fitness to mental fitness and the understanding that you have to work on your mind constantly, that there is no achieving mental fitness or mental strength. There's no end goal of, oh, I got that now. 
because the truth is in life, it's going to go up and down. So when I look at mental fitness, mental strength, I think it's the understanding. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit before that things are going to happen to you that affect you. And you're going to wrestle with your mentality from time to time. It's how you a respond to the adversity that you face in your life. I think that's what makes you who you are. The type of person you are comes from when something bad happens, how do you respond? And it doesn't always have to be perfect. That's number one. And then number two with mental fitness is what tools you've taught your brain so that when you are down or you are depressed or you are feeling uh, low or even high and excited, which is also an emotional response. How conscious are you? How conscious are you of where your mind's at and how to get it even killed and kind of back to back to square one so you can keep moving forward? So obviously something I've, I've studied a lot, practiced a lot, uh, something I'm extremely passionate about. And I love that you asked that question first, because uh, the truth is that, look, we're all in this together. And that nobody has to fight that battle or or be elated alone, right? We we need to do it together, and it's a societal thing that I'm super connected in with and and passionate. And look forward to talking to you about. Awesome. Well, you, you know, when you think about what I love, what you said is responding because a lot of times in sport or just any performance doesn't matter. It could be outside of sport. A lot of people um, we've trained ourselves to react. Right. And there's not a lot of control in that. So when you actually respond, it's different. It looks different. It feels different. And so when I think about mental toughness as well, I think of the whole analogy of uh, the eye of the hurricane. So, you know, whether whether in your performance internally or externally, there's this there's this always a hurricane brewing. But if it does get out of control, you have a choice to choose a different response to get in the middle of the eye of the hurricane, which is calm. Right. So you're talking about those tools like training ourselves with tools, but training for that moment. Right. So when people ask me, what is the mental game? Well, it's, it's training for the moment. Uh, right. Cause you can be the best athlete in an entire team, the country, the world, but how good are you in, in a particular moment? So how do we train for that? So, and that's, that's the mental toughness is like, how do we actually train for a moment right. that's the unknown? Well, you know, you know, what's cool about what you're saying. So, you know, I'm an ice hockey player. I've been an ice hockey player my whole life, um, but I've played other sports. I've been involved with other sports. And what's great for athletes is that I think most athletes have these tools and might not even realize it. Cause we, we always talk about being in the zone, right? right. Well, I was in the zone that game. I wasn't missing a shot. I, I saw the path in front of me. Well, what is that? What is the zone? It's complete present moment awareness right? That that's what being in the zone is. It's, you're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. You are just in the moment. Right. Right. So my, my training, if you will, and again, I'll never achieve this fully is to be present all the time. I always give the analogy. You know, I, I have two children, Logan and Lena, they're eight and five. I love them more than anything on this planet. They're not here at this exact moment. You are, you're, you're my world right now. Not yeah, that yeah. I don't care about them. Right. But, but, but this show you, that's my world right now. So that kind of present moment awareness is something that you have to be aware of. And then you have to try again. I, I talked this a minute ago, be conscious of when you're leaving that, uh, where did I was, I always say this one, you ever read a book, you read five pages and then you go, Oh, I didn't read anything. Like right. where did, where'd you go? Right. Where did your mind go? So the constant practice of bringing yourself to the present moment, and then also understanding what do I control in this situation? What do I not control in this situation? Uh, you know, I, I never focus on things that I can't control. And if I catch myself doing that, it's a real snap, like, oh, well, I don't have a control over that. Right, so right. I think that the continual training of that and then the permission to be patient with your mind wandering, which it 
completely does. I think I've seen people, oh man, I'm out of the moment. What, what are you mad about? That's that's normal, right? Yeah. It's completely normal. I, I, look, you, you you played QB, you know this better than most. Exactly. Right. Oh, yeah. so, um, it, it's it's one of those things that you you know, it's a fun process once you get into it. You got to battle some internal demons. I think all of us do judgmental thoughts and saboteurs and things like that. But that's how I do it. It's just it's it's a it's a continued mission to be as present as possible. Hundred percent. And when you really have, when you've trained yourself to build that awareness, when you realize this shit, I have no control of, like you just gave yourself, there's like, it's, there's more emotional space. There's more freedom. There's more focus. Right. Um, and it's getting athletes too, and younger athletes to realize sometimes you have to have to write them out. Like what can you can control and what you can. And right. more often than not, the list is a lot longer on the shit that you can't control and more often than not athletes are focusing on that list. Oh, always. And, and, and worried about the future of the past, which you also can't control. You know, when I draw this up uh, for, for students or friends or whoever, I basically say this, buddy, I say, there's, there's really only three things in your life you can control. And that that's really about it. You can control your effort. Yep. You can control what you put in your body. Right. For the, for the most part. Right. Yeah. And, and assuming you're okay, you're, with your thoughts, you can control your mind. That's the hardest one to get control over, but you control your emotional responses for the most part. That's it. That's all you control in your entire life. That, that's it. Now, what happens is you tell people that I also have them draw out all the things they can't control, which, like you said, it's an endless list the yeah, weather, yeah. the traffic, the Kardashians, the other team, the <laughs> politics. You can go on forever on this stuff. Right. And I say that it's scary at first. Because now there's this gigantic circle of things you don't control, and it's almost intimidating. And I say, forget that. Make the little circle, effort, mindset, what you put in your body, make that your universe. Now it's vast. Now that's endless, right? And you can find a lot of peace in it. And then the other part of it, like I said, we talked about the past and the future. I always say, if, if you really think about this in your life, there, there are rare times this is not true, a handful. But if you think about the present moment and ask yourself, what is my biggest problem this moment? 9.9 .9 times out of 10, there isn't one. Right. You're worried about the future. You're reflecting on the past or you're worried about something you can't control. I, I just choose not to pursue a life in that way. And I'm going to say this again. I have nowhere near perfected this. It is a daily thing that I have to work on. Oh, yeah. Some days I'm way better than others, right? But I'm enjoying the process. We talk about that in sports all the time. I love this process and I get a little bit better at it each day. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, when I'm when I'm too far in the future I, and I can snap myself back, I, I take that as a win. I don't take it as a failure. Like, hey, wow, I, I, I recognize that. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of how I approach the day to day. If you totally. Will. Well, and, and what I love real quick is that when when we do get into that moment of focusing on something we have con, uh, no control of, or we get out of focus, what I love, and I'm sure you've heard of this, the win mindset. What's important now for me, at least, I've trained myself at a moment's notice when I realize that awareness. I can ask myself, what's important right now? Right. And I don't care what the result is, but if I can get into the present moment with my breath, with my thought, and then act on it. To me, that's right. winning. Totally. And, you know, that's a little success, a micro win. I'll take that all day because I got back into the present moment. There's a lot of times we get so out of focus. It could be four hours. It could be 72 hours. And you're you're still running that loop and you're right. out of, you know, so. Oh, it could be weeks. If you're not yeah. kidding, it could be long. Yeah. It could be we'll a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, look, one of the things that scared me one time was that someone uh, said this, and I say this all the time. People have been born, lived an entire life and died having never been conscious. 
if you really think about it. Crazy. And again, this is an emerging study. I'll say that I'm, I'm very another. I'm blessed to live in the time that we live in right now. That's how I always look at it. Oh, yeah. But like you said, you know what's important is that you find your way back, and it doesn't matter how long it takes. Uh, and going back to your first question, what are you doing to constantly work on this, right? Like what fitness regimen are you doing for your mind? Because it might take 72 hours, but can you get that down to 70 hours, then 48, 24? Yep. Yep. I feel like I've gotten it down to, to within an hour, even minutes at times, right? But I practice this constantly. And I promise you, if I stop doing the things that I do on a daily basis, I'll get, I'll get, it'll, it'll start expanding again. Yeah. You got to keep working on it all the time. Yeah. It's reps, man. You got to rep it out. Absolutely. Totally. That's what I call them. I call them my little reps, you know, these little two minute meditations that I do, or I get present. And, you know, like one of the things I do, it freaks people out. But if I, if I'm feeling something, and again, it could be a negative feeling, it could be a positive feeling, but like I'm a business owner in business. You cannot make decisions when you're emotionally compromised and anywhere in the spectrum. I will go outside and find a leaf or a flower or even a blade of grass. And, and you can catch me just staring at it because what I'm doing is I'm triggering myself to get very present very quickly. And I'm always amazed at like two minutes, what two minutes of that can do oh to, my to get my mindset. It doesn't take as, you know, I think people get the visual of someone sitting in a yoga pose for an hour and a half. Right. And right. Uh, that's what I need to do. I'm telling you two minutes, a few times a day. Right. And you got to fight again. You got to fight the judgment in your mind of this is stupid. And you just push that aside. Exactly. But, you, know, you can see the wonder. I, I see the world in wonder, man. I really do. But those are some of the things I do just to trigger myself back. But I've been practicing yeah. for like 10 years. You know, it's 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 wonderful. <laughs> oh, yeah. And every time that you do, whether if it is, you know, get into your breath or build awareness, come back to the present, depending because there's so many ways to do that. Of course. That, yeah. that is a rep. And and what I do is I, what I teach athletes, too, is when it comes to repping out your breath visualization, even the meditation part of it, put just one song on, which is usually three, three and a half minutes. Right. 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 If you do a song a day, you're, you're, you're repping that out, whatever you need to rep out, right. Plan like a fitness plan. And then you can do two songs. And then, then it's like, then you can look back after a month going, wow, you know, I do it, you know, five to 10 minutes a day, which that's a lot. Actually it is. Yeah. Especially when your mind's wandering. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, man, I think we could just, we could spend the whole podcast just talking on. Oh, you could have a five part series with the two of us oh talking God. about. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, but let's, let's still stay on the topic of mental toughness, but I want to ask you a specific question since you are an athlete, mm-hmm. right? Not a former, but still an athlete. Oh, I, I, uh, I am a proud member of my adult league. I'll tell you that. I take pride in that every time I, I go. Love yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So, you know, whether, whether from your, your athletic experiences or as an entrepreneur, motivational speaker, author, like any, any of the realms of your life where you've had to perform, can you share a specific moment throughout your life where you had to be mentally tough? Like that, that monumental moment where you had to like dig in your heels and, and get out. Oh, yeah. tough. I mean, I can tell you multiple ones. Yeah. I'll tell you one coaching and one playing. How's that sound? That'll be a, a good one. Right. And um, I was coaching the United Kingdom and uh, a professional ice hockey over there. And uh, I, we were at the championship game. All right. So, and the, and the team that I'm coaching was picked to be, I think, second to last in the league. And here we are, we've, we've come together as a team. We're in the championship game. I was super proud of what we've accomplished and we're winning four to two. 
and we're playing against the team from Manchester. And on that team is the greatest, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this, the greatest ice hockey player in English history. So we're playing the Wayne Gretzky of, uh, of England. And I remember they scored a goal and, uh, it set in for the, I felt it. My, my brain started going, Oh, that's, that's going to tie it up. They're going to go out. They're going to win the game. We're going to lose just negative, just flooding my mind. This goes right back to what we were talking about. And this is why uh, I say that you have to train this stuff like the gym out of nowhere. I, I, I equate this to my training. My brain snapped and went, you know, how amazing is it that you're standing here? There's 10,000 screaming fans. You're in a championship game in the United Kingdom. How awesome is that? And I got real present real quick. I was like, my wife is here. My kid is here. I only had one child at a time. And here we are in a championship stage with a team that wasn't even supposed to be here. Wow. And I got so present and so quick and I got incredibly calm. We ended up winning the game, right? Uh, but the reason I bring that moment up, Grant, is because, look, players see coaches. And if I started slumping my shoulders and I let that fear set in, it would have totally infected my team. Um, and I think that, you know, what happened from that is we all said, no, nope, not today. You know, we're going to stay present. We, we did. We took over that team. But <clears throat> I bring that moment up <clears throat> because it's a slight shift of consciousness that could have been catastrophic, catastrophic, excuse me, if I wasn't careful. And my training said it. And that was the first time, I think, in my life where – it happened without me having to think of it. I was just so used to kind of snapping myself back that it went there. Now, the other moment, flashback about 20 years, I was 17 years old, mm-hmm. right? Um, like 25 years, I shouldn't date myself. Um, and it's my senior year of high school and I'm on the fast track. NCAA teams are looking at me, ice hockey, you know, I'm, I'm making it, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I had a horrendous tear of my shoulder, my third game of the season, right? Season's done complete tear. I had to, I had to go to a surgery that within a week or two, uh, and, and I'm hearing things from the doctors, like, uh, that might be it. You know, you might be done. Uh, this is a pretty significant injury, which I didn't want to hear, but you know, I remember after the injury happened, I have no problem admitting this. I, I went off the ice and I cried like crazy. Cause I, I kind of knew I was like, something, something's wrong. Like my arm isn't working. <laughs> I had a good cry about it. And then I remember within 24 hours, I just made a decision. That's not it for me. And I realized that while I will pursue playing and I did, I did play again and again competitively that there are so many other ways to be involved in this game that I love other than playing. So I started writing for a local hockey magazine about my recovery. This is at 17, which, wow. which now, now looking back at kind of as an adult, I'm, I'm kind of, even I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, uh, I started uh, back at that, that time, there's no, there's no internet yet. So you know, YouTube's not a thing yet. So I started going to every VHS store because that's what they were. There's no DVDs yet. Right. Looking for hockey training tapes. I started researching with what I could with limited resources. How can I train with one arm? How can I train? Started shooting pucks in my garage with one arm. I started learning what plyometrics were. My mind expanded so much that it would really set a keystone foundation for business growth, sports growth, coaching growth, personal growth writing. I mean, everything spawned from that of, I don't have to be done unless someone, unless I decide I'm done. Right yeah. now, again, from the injury side, I had a great surgeon. He fixed me up. I did end up playing college hockey. I, I had a cup of coffee in the minors. Uh, very thankful for that. Right. But I don't think I weave myself into coaching, which is my real passionate life of, of, you know, working with athletes and helping other people and writing. If that moment doesn't happen now, I can't, I can't explain to you what, triggered me to do that at that time, other than I had two very loving parents, a very supportive brother, 
um, the environment was correct, but that moment changed my entire life. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Like, and, and I think we hear, I think we take it for granted when athletes and people say, oh, I'm thankful for that. No, I am. I am. I would not change it for anything. I would not stop that injury from happening at this point, at any point in my life. Wow. I'm thankful that it happened. Right. And, and I'm going to say this again, because we don't have all day. It's one of four or five major setbacks in my life that today I say, wow, thank God that happened because it taught me this, I was going on a path that would not have been sustainable, or I was going to be depressed. And thank God, this massive thing happened to change the trajectory of my life, which was insanely painful, physically and mentally in the moment, right? But transformative, because you can't transform without that. It's it's not going to happen. But those are two that stick out to me, man. I just, um, I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's, man, uh, I, I, it resonates with me and I connect to it and I will, I will give you a little bit of the cliff notes on this because the listeners that have been committed to my show have heard my story over and over again. So, but what's really interesting is that I had a career injury in college and so it's my left hip and I had, I spent two decades of negative belief systems giving I couldn't, I couldn't tell you about, I couldn't say that I was an athlete because mm-hmm. I was so damaged from the inside. Yeah. I right, uh, couldn't talk to you about the records I broke, touchdowns, none of that. I'm done. Like I was so removed from the sport. Uh, I've had two hip replacements on the same hip before I was 40. Wow. And one of them left me handicapped for about four years. So what was really the reason why I bring this up is because here you are 17 and you're like, okay, I got this bad wing. I can't, but how, how do I train the other arm? How do I train right. the rest of my body? Well, it took me 20 years, actually 17, to realize, because since the left hip was was damaged, I felt everything else was damaged. Right. So when I got between my first surgery and my second one, and I got, I, I made a realization that everything around my hip is great. And that's when I started training again and started going, I am a warrior. I am a competitor. Right. I can't get my muscles back. And yeah, it hurt. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't. I had to find the beauty and the pain, but it made me realize that once I have, now I know if anything hurts, it doesn't stop the rest of the body. And right. that's a huge lesson. Cause I know that happens for athletes. Like absolutely, I'm hurt. I can't walk. I can't throw. I can't shoot. So I'm damaged. No, you're not. Well, and the other aspect of this too is, is what do you, what do you identify as? Right. Yeah. Like, I think that sometimes we have things that we feel take away our identity. Well, what is your identity? You know, for the longest time, I, I said, I'm a hockey player. Right. And if I'm not a hockey player, what am I? And I remember the day, uh, because this is one of those, like, this was just a thought that like changed my life. It's like, I don't have to play hockey. I choose to play hockey. Right. I am not hockey. I am me. Hockey is a game that I play. And, you know, I, today, if you ask me, what do I identify as? I'm a father, I'm a husband. Like, you know, what's success to me today? It's not scoring 10 goals in my men's league. Right. It's, it's, I want my kids to know I love them and I want to know they love me at the end of the day. That's my win. Right. And, and I'll tell you this too, too, Grant, is that, look, I, I said this when I was saying, I, I am so fortunate and blessed that at 17, I was gifted with that mentality. Okay. For whatever divine influence, however you want to look at it. But I think it's also important for the audience to know it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're 17, 27, 87, when you're given the gift of consciousness, it's a gift. Right. Uh, and, and again, I, the fact that you got to that point makes me look up at you, right. It, it, it's probably harder later on, 
right? But you got it. And I think that that's, that's a gift in itself, right? And I've said it before, people are born and die having never got, right? right. And that's a choice. <laughs> but this, so for your listeners, this is your choice, right? You can choose tomorrow, today, right now, while you're listening, be present now and change today, right? It may be hard and you may have to work at it. Your brain may tell you that it's not possible, but I'm, we're both telling you that it is. Yeah. You have to choose though. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm a huge believer in, in energy within words. A lot of times, you know, cause you know, there's bad energy and there's, mm-hmm. you know, great energy with words. So like it, we gotta be really mindful of the words that we use to create energy, which can be our, which is our guide. So that's why I love saying I get to anytime I get to my energy shifts, things like I come from possibility. I don't think about the what ifs in the past. And like, I'm, I'm in it. Like I get to do this, even though it right. sucks. And I don't want to do it, but I get to, because at the end of the day, I don't have to do shit. I don't have to do anything, right? but I get to, and that shifts. And because you and I do work with a lot of, you know, all levels of, of athletes, what I really try to, to, to work with athletes at a young age is to get them, you know, from an identity standpoint is to get them to understand their sport is what they do. It's not right. who they are. A hundred percent. What you do. And then when you do, cause everyone is going to trans, they're going to, they're going to um, transition out of their sport. Everyone does. Yeah. So the more that you can get that at an early age, that when you do transition out, then you're not like 26 years old going, what the, am I, who am I? Right. Right. Yeah. I'll add on to that too, that, you know, if there's any parents listening of athletes, you know, I've always viewed youth sports and development sports as a vehicle for their growth as people. And I coach that way too. If I develop a person, I'll get a better player. If I only develop the player, it, it, you know, you might get something out of that, but it's not going to be the full package and maximum effort, maximum potential. So I always looked at sports like that. It's a vehicle for my growth. Right. And like you said, look, everyone hangs up their skates, cleats, shoes, whatever you play racket doesn't matter. And it's not the end of your life. Right. Uh, I remember learning, you know, with business, Oh, oh, wow. Business is a lot like hockey (laughs) or business is a lot like sports or getting into speaking and writing or like writing a book is a great example. Oh, that's a lot like hockey. It's an endurance test. I just got to figure it out. Everything I did in the game, I was able to apply to something else, which means, and this is kind of the big point. It wasn't so much the game. I love the game. I love ice hockey. Anybody knows me personally knows that, but it's not the game uh, that gave me this. It's, the game that allowed me to elaborate on the stuff that I was already doing. And when you can apply the effort you put forward towards sports to other things, it's like an explosion. It's like a, it's like a firework going off. Like, wow, I can do all these other things with that mentality. All right. Now I will also admit until about the age of 25, you know, having a job was my backup plan to sports. All right. Uh, and and that, that's okay with me. Like I said, I said that you look, you got to get yourself in a mind. If you want to make it, you got to have that mindset but don't shun off the, Hey, I can apply this to other things. Right. I think that that's an incredibly important lesson. And, and it really did pay off for me. And, and I do, I really apply what I've done in sport. I think to every aspect of my, of my life. And like you said, like every day I get to do this, I get to come to work and get involved with my teammates and my coworkers. And I get to do this amazing work with you. That is how I view it. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I'm owed anything. <laughs> right. Right. I just, I get to do this. It's a privilege to be alive today, much less that I get to do work that's meaningful to me. Right. Yeah, that, sure. that, every day I look at things. Uh-huh. I love that you said that. Awesome.
That's awesome. Well, I know that we've touched on a lot of your perspectives, the dealings that you've had with yourself as an athlete and also working with athletes, but like, and I know that you work with a lot of parents and athletes, but what, when it comes to enhancing someone's, you know, there's a term that we use a lot, full potential. Mm -hmm. So, and then also mindset, there's so many directions we can go. And it all depends on the athlete and the context and, you know, where that, you know, meeting them where they're at, but what's the most important advice you can give an athlete to, to reach their full full potential and enhance their mindset? Yeah. Look, it's having a clear understanding of what the word trust means. Uh, I think this is something we completely underestimate both as individuals and as a societal level. Uh, Trust is the fundamental foundation of any relationship you're going to have. And make no mistake, if you're in sports, you're in relationships with coaches, with yourself, with other team teammates. To not know what trust is can be devastating. Uh, The second kind of half of that is everyone has a slightly different definition of that word. As an example, you know, the, the base definition of trust is relying on someone else, right? Well, I coached a, an inner city football team where uh, I'm not gonna lie. Murder is a very real part of their life. All right. On a weekly basis, trust to them had a different definition than it did to me growing up. Right. But if I didn't understand that, or at least listen to them, tell me that, and then tell them, you know, I've never had to deal with this. And I appreciate you teaching me what that means. That opened up an entirely new realm with them from a coach to player relationship that they didn't have before. That's number one. And once you've established trust with yourself, with other people, then the next question I typically get to is, hey, what motivates you and what demotivates you? I think a mistake a lot of coaches make is they don't ask that question. And they just assume, well, this athlete's probably motivated the way I was, I was motivated. Well, listen, if you grew up in the 1960s or 70s, I guarantee you, you were motivated differently yep. than athletes today. Guaranteed, right? Emotional yeah. intelligence was not where it's at. Right. You know, so, you know, I want to know, are you motivated by winning? Are you motivated by money? If it's a professional athlete, are you motivated, motivated by teamwork's working? What is it? Because then I'm going to know once, once trust is established, how I can get the best out of you. So when I round this all out, Grant, a lot of this is not just asking the right questions, but listening to answers, right? Knowing that athlete can trust me with their answers, right? Because if you get an athlete and you say, hey, hey, what motivates you? And you haven't established trust, winning coach, working hard coach, you're going to get the same, you know, same answer from anybody. So establishing trust and then listening, active listening to what this player or athlete needs, right? And then creating a plan with them or within the team environment to expunge their maximum performance. But I don't think it's possible without knowing those two things. Yeah. I love it because that's why I, I love language and I love I love what you just said because that's why I ask you about mental toughness. We all know if you play sports or you're in rugged environments or any kind of performing environment, you know what mental toughness means for the most part. Yeah. But everybody has a different meaning of it because we're meaning making machines as humans. We have and we have the word love. Uh, passion, even the word on your hat, grit. We all know what it right. means, but it all means something different to, to right. people. So I love trust because even though there's so many different ways to look at trust and meaning and, and all that, but what I what I love about what you said earlier about being in flow or being in the zone, to me, that's full trust mode. 
Right. Trusting all your preparation in the moment where you're not thinking about the what ifs and the past and the future and the crowd and all the environmental dynamics. You're just in it and right. you're just trusting it. Everything. That's a great point. I actually never put those two together. You know, like if you think about, cause when you're in the zone, there's no doubt. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and the doubt comes from not having trust in the situation. So that's a fantastic point, you know, and, and like I said, look, you said this, but what's the population earth? Seven and a half billion, eight billion people, something like yeah. that. I heard this great thought. There's 8 billion points of view on the planet and not two of them are the same. They might be similar, but the same. And we often make the mistake of thinking that the other 7.999 billion people feel the same way we do about everything. And that's just not the way it works. That's, that's an unrealistic expectation. You use the word love. Another important word for me, you want to talk about skewed definitions. There are people that view love through pain. There are people that love through kindness. There are people that, that have not been loved that have a very strained view of that. Everyone sees these things differently, but the ability for us to come together, and this is why I love coaching, to bring a group of people together towards a common definition of trust, a common bond, a common goal to achieve it. That is the miracle, I think, of life, right? And that's why, I I mean, it, it fills me up every time I see it, even if you don't necessarily accomplish the grand scheme goal, right? To come together and work together. That's why we're here. We're meant to be in tribes. And I, I, I feel that our powers that be that are pulling us apart from that. And my mission here is to bring us together, to bring people together. I, you're doing the same thing. Totally. And that's, I want to align with people like you. <laughs> we have to come the truth is the world's big enough for all of us. We have to do this together. Well, I, and I want to talk about the three, the three the things that you talk about, the three important things for championship culture and, but you know, which is tactics, talent and team bond. But yeah. before we get into that real quick, I want to talk about teamwork because besides mental skills and mental performance, which I obviously clearly love talking about, because mm-hmm. culture to me is the shit. I mean, <laughs> I, I love it so much because I've been a part of it as right. an athlete and as a coach, I've seen player led cultures thrive. Like it's just, when you see it happening in real time, it is, it's beautiful. I love right. it. So it when we talk about teamwork, because this happens a lot in any like any culture that has performance tied to it, you do have those people that are me people about me. So, and the whole goal is to get everyone to, no matter if you get small amount of minutes or you don't play as much or your second right. stringer, but we're all connected to we on, on the ice, off the ice, on the field, off the court, we're always connected to we. So how do you just curious, how do you get someone that's me minutes, stats, scholarships, wins, championships, the math of sports. How do you get somebody from me to, to buy into we? It's a great question. And, and there's a lot of different directions I could go right. with that. You know, one is understanding that accountability is not a black and white term, that there's levels to accountability. And I think that let's just say you have a selfish athlete. I'll just say that for the, for the episode, right. To expect a selfish athlete to become completely accountable and selfless and a snap of fingers. It's not realistic. There's a ladder. You have to move that person up to understand the levels of accountability and the best environment to do that. And this is kind of what I do is to build a really strong team bond amongst a majority of the players. Cause my belief, and, and I've seen this proven is if you get 90, 95% of your team bonded, 
someone who's not willing to take part of that is not going to survive in that system. Right. So it's an adapt or die type situation. The other thing too, is another mistake I think coaches make is they see that selfish player and they just want to cut them. That's the easy road. You should want to acclimate that person, teach that person about accountability and understanding that this team bond works together. Look, I'll tell you this, the, 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 when I want to learn about teamwork, I look to the greatest team on the planet, which I believe is the United States military. I don't think there's a better team on, on earth than the U S armed forces. Okay. My wife served probably in the air force and I'm surrounded by military people all the time. They are the best team on the planet. And I heard a story one time from a combat controller that changed my life. And I tell this story to all the teams that I work with. He was in a situation. He was talking to me about being in the field, which I will not go into the, 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 uh, the dirt with that. Right. But I was comfortable enough to ask a question that I never asked military. I said, how do you do what you do? How do you go out there and do what you do when you need to do it? And I'm talking about combat. Right. And he said to me two things. He goes, number one, Lee, he goes, anyone who says they're not scared is full of shit. We're all, we're all scared out there, but we can't think that way. And the reason we don't think that way is because we all assume that something might happen to us, but I have to protect my brother or sister to the right of me. And we all think that way. We're all trying to protect each other. That was a definition of accountability. This is, this is in the face of death. They're willing to do that for each other. I will go into a locker room and tell them that story and say, we're playing this game, right? How hard is it for you to be to the person next to you? These people will may die in their field. Sacrifice to us means you might get hit with a puck in the arm. You know what I mean? Or, or whatever sport, fill in the blank there. (laughs) So, so I think some, an understanding that there's levels to accountability. I think making sure that the team is bonded, focus on the, the mass, not just the one. Right. And then also giving a clear definition or a clear standard of this is what It looks like to be part of a team. Now, if you do all of that and that athlete is still not where they need to be, then you have, you have to make a decision as a coach. All right. But my belief is that I will, I would rather have, I don't care how talented they are. I'd rather have that athlete off the team at that point. And this is, this is after trying a lot of things. I want to reiterate that then, then have them infect my team bond. I, I believe I can win with less talent and a bigger team bond. As long as the talent's comparable than having the best player in the world. And we see this in pro sports every day. You can, you can look at all outside Tom Brady. I mean, right. like the, the best player doesn't always win. He right. doesn't always win to be fair. He just wins a lot. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, and this is not a shot, but LeBron's another great example of, he doesn't win all the time when he's in the final, he's an unbelievable basketball player. Right. But you can be the best. I mean, I don't remember the last time the angels won the world series. It's been a minute, right. right? One of the best players in the world there. So it's a team bond and understanding of what is accountability? What is your responsibility to your teammate, to the coach, to the team? I established that day one. I don't assume that's going to be there. So again, long answer to, to the question, but those are the things I look at. It's huge. I think as a coach, I, at least for me, a mental coach or actually, you know, football coach, I, I, I'm in a position, I signed up to, to transform, to, to provide transformation with your development, whether if that is, you know, with your technique, with your thoughts, your leadership, your communication, I want to affect and impact something. Right. And if I can do the whole thing, great, you know, and, and which is really cool. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show, Ted Lasso at all. Oh, I, I, people have called me Ted Lasso because I'm an American coaching in England all the time. So I'm very well aware of, of Ted yeah. Lasso. Yeah. Well, and so, and I, I love it so much, man. It makes me feel so good every time I watch. I rewatch it just because. Me like, too, man. <laughs> you know? yeah. But the character Jamie Tart. So if you know, as 
the listeners are now listening to both of us right now. If you're like, well, how does, how, what does it look like to really take somebody from, from me to we? Well, go watch Ted, La- Ted Lasso right. and see Jamie Tart. He's, he's one of the characters on the, on the, the Ap- aptly named. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so watch the, the, the transformation of someone who's so focused on themselves and their own success. Right. And the, and the transformation it is beautiful, but you have to sit through all the episodes to see the transformation. Right. That's what it looks like. And Lasso was patient with him that, that in the show, obviously. And that that's the key. There was not an expectation that he would, he would turn over overnight. Right. It, it, it's part of the process. I've seen that in real life. Yeah. And it is, it is pretty beautiful when, when you get that athlete to kind of, it clicks of, I can't do this myself. Right. right. Um, and that it's not about, it's we over me. Right. And you said it before you even got into this, like, like the three things, talent, tactics, and a team bond. You have to have comparable talent to compete. No doubt about it. You have to have tactics that are going to help you win because great talent can't overcome bad tactics, coaches. Right. Yeah. And you need a team bond, which is everybody understanding what accountability is, trust is, working together towards a common goal. When it, when it, it, what's funny to me, Grant, is coaches, well, how much time should I spend on this team bond thing? And I said, well, it's one third. So about 33% of the time. And they think I'm crazy. They think I'm crazy. I can't spend a third of my time working on the team bond. I said, sure you can. I mean, you can incorporate a lot of this into just practice to begin with, but sure you can. And let me tell you something, the, the stats are on my side. Exactly. <laughs> do this win a lot, a lot. Exactly. So, so, you know, any young coaches out there, any young athletes out there listening to this, Understand that 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 needs to be part of your regimen if if you want to see sustained success. And I'm not just talking over one year. I'm talking championship culture, the word you love, culture. That this is part of it. You have to understand what it means to be part of a team. Hundred percent. I mean, it's culture and, and teamwork. It is. It's the foundation. Like it. It really takes the whole team connected to we to 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 get it done. But it right. takes. One person to destroy it. It does. I've I've seen that. Oh, uh-huh. I have too. I have too. This is why it's so important that you do this throughout the season. You know, one of the things I tell coaches is this is not something you do in preseason. You have a meeting and it's done. Right. Like I talked about mental fitness. You have to continually work at it every single week, really every day. Yeah. But every single week at minimum, you should be doing a team building activity to remind them of what this means and how important this is to our program or our, our culture. Right. You cannot do it once and expect results. That's that. It's again, literally the equal equivalent is I went to the gym and I lifted once at the beginning of the season. Season. I'm set. Yeah. No, no one would accept that. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's the same thing works with the team bond and everything else. You got to put the time in, you got to make it part of your plan. And I, I am a steward of that. I love that process. In fact, when, when I got into coaching, I was all over the place. It was tactics. I was doing everything off ice. And I found that this is my path. This is my niche in the game. This is what I love to do. And I quadrupled down on that. When I realized that and I guess I get to do this. <laughs> well, that, that's how I look at it. I love it. I love it. Well, there's, you know, obviously, you know, I want to uh, respect your time and I'll have you back on the show. Cause I know one of the things that you do focus on is burnout, which man, that happens not everywhere in life. Well, hey, I think the whole world's burnt out right now. After exactly. The last two years. <laughs> exactly. So I definitely want to come back and talk about that. Cause you do focus a lot about burnout, uh, how to prevent it and, and how to, you know, change the ship, if you will, with burnout. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I do want to take some time because about your book, um, your recent book, so you, total, you've written five. So you've been busy. I yeah, uh, I, I, I do love writing. It's not. not so on... Talk a little bit about just, you know, when the hockey stops, that's your most recent book. 
what it's about and the motivation of writing it. Yeah, When Hockey Stops is actually my first children's book that I've ever wrote. Um, so during the pandemic, like most of us, you know, when that started, we all kind of had to survive as adults and we did what we had to do. But for kids, especially in ice hockey, all the rinks shut down overnight and suddenly kids were in a position of, hey, you can't do what you love. Sorry, we have to survive. I don't judge anybody in that situation, right? We had to do what we had to do, but there was no guide for young kids. I mean, six to 18 of what do you do when you can't do what you love? So the idea came into my head. I would like to write a story. And I did this with my good friend, Christy Cashiano Burns, who who is USA Hockey's hockey mom. She's an anchor up in Syracuse, New York. Can we write a story that instructs kids through the story of when you can't do what you love, there's still lots of ways to be involved. This goes directly back to the shoulder story I, I said before, right? This is part of the inspiration. So our main character's name is Leon. And in the first chapter, he breaks his wrist in the middle of a game. He's the best player on the team. His team's heading towards a championship. He breaks his wrist. Season is done. There's no coming back. There's no miracle at the end where he gets back. His season's over. And he has to deal with the depression of that. He has to deal with the finality of that. Your season is done. And throughout the book, he discovers, well, I can do this. I can help coach. I, and he sees the game in a different way. I have people surrounding me. I'm not alone. And I'll tell you what's been amazing about the story, Grant, is that we've read this to, to many elementary schools now and various age groups and the reception we've gotten back of not just how it's written. Apparently, it's written in a way that reads very well. I've been told that by teachers, which was probably the greatest compliment I've received so far, but kids coming up to me and say, you know, I was hurt and, you know, I did this and I, you know, you're right. I I can believe in myself even when I can't do that. And the kids saying, you know, I can be a leader Like to hear them say that organically without being prompted just from reading this. Awesome. Wow. I mean, that was amazing. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's really set me on another path of, of working with schools and working with young kids and doing team building as young as eight, seven, eight years old to teach them these skills. You don't have to wait till you're 40, 50, 80, at eight years old. Hey, what does effort mean? What does creativity mean? What is emotion, right? You can be a leader. We need leaders right now. I think the leaders for tomorrow in school right now, you can be that leader. And hearing them say, wow, no one's ever told me that. I, this is amazing. Uh, Man, that'll make your month much less your day. Oh, yeah. But that's that's why we wrote it. We wanted to support kids. We wanted them to have a guide. I mean, it's it's again, it surrounds the game of ice hockey, but obviously you can use it in any sport. 100%. And to, to know that when you face this adversity, this is the key of the book. It's not what happened to you. It's how you respond to it that makes you who you are. And that is that is the ethos of that book. Big time. I mean, that, that, that's the message right there, man. In life, it's how you respond, not react, how you respond. Yeah. I love it. So Thank how you, do really. people, how do people buy not only this book, but how do they buy all your books? And then <laughs> how do my listeners follow you on social media and connect with you? Right. Well, if you, if you're interested in the book, uh, if you want to support the authors, whenhockeystops.com is the way to go. But if you're an Amazon person, which nothing wrong with that, you can get that book in our, my entire collection on Amazon, uh, wherever you are. So uh, you can find my author profile page there. All, all five of the books are there. Um, if you want to follow me, it's it's at Lee M J Elias anywhere, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, you know, and and I'm, I'll put this out there. I'm always happy to talk to anybody. I, I offer this up on every podcast. You can email me directly at Lee uh, MJ Elias at gmail.com. If you have any questions about anything, even if you just want to have a discussion, I'm, I'm always opening myself up because you talked about burnout just really quick. The, the only way to get out of that is to have a conversation, right? There's no, there's no answer. You can check off and your burnout goes away. You have to talk. You got to communicate. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I always like to open the door for that. But I, I got to tell you, I appreciate the, the platform to even share this information, Grant. It means a lot to me. And, and I love that we're on similar missions and, and awesome. that we're trying to put good out there, man. I, we get to do that. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and yeah. And I echo the same thing. I, uh, right back at you. I, I appreciate you just sharing your thoughts and your, your energy and your love, uh, for working with athletes and, and performers. Um, so thanks and sharing your journey. So thank you for everything for, uh, for being on my show today. No, it's, it's, it's my honor, man. I mean that. And, and to everybody listening, I just wish you the best. I mean that you're not alone if you're feeling alone. And if you're feeling like you're with other people, I hope you accomplish every goal you have. 